In this extremely powerful episode of Here's the Deal, I interview Marilise de Villiers, who is a mindset and performance coach and best-selling author. I actually met Marilise back in 2018 when we were being certified to be high-performance coaches. Little did I know at this point in time that she had just emerged from a living hell. In this episode, she explains why she wrote Roar, Taming the Bully Inside and Out, and how you can deal with your own bullies. She describes the toxic work environment that she had endured and the narcissist that eventually demoted her in front of her entire team. This was the catalyst that pushed her to finally leave this job and start writing this book. We dive into Marilise's past and she describes her experience being sexually assaulted and how that led to disordered eating and other issues as she was growing up. We talk about what a bully is. We talk about this spectrum of narcissism because there's actually a healthy dose of narcissism. And it's when you get to the higher range of the spectrum that we're really looking um, at issues. So you are going to find yourself somewhere on the spectrum and and that's okay. But knowing these things, it's going to better empower you to deal with not only yourself, but the other people in your life. I love talking about the research that she has done. She said that about 30% of workplace bullies are females, but anecdotally, the shocking majority of women that speak to Marilise about their personal bullies are dealing with a female bully. And then she goes in to talk about, you know, why this is the case and, you know, how can we as women do better for each other? I'm extremely excited for you guys to hear Marilise's journey, especially when she starts to talk about emerging from this situation and how she actually used her health, her wellness, her nutrition. She started working with a coach because she knew that she needed to focus on her mental and her physical and her emotional health in order to bounce back to the person that she is, the person that she wants to be. Um, I am honored that she shared her experience with us. And I know that there are several of you out there who need to hear this. And she even says, you know, if she can help just one person hear this and get out of the situation. If you are in a dark spot right now and you feel like you can't get out, she is living proof that you can. I know you're going to be inspired by this episode. I have links in the show notes of how you can get a hold of Marilise, of how you can read her book. I have read chapter one and I can't wait for my delivery from Amazon to get here. And lucky for us, it will also be, um, out on audiobook at the beginning of 2021. So enjoy, send me any questions you've got, connect with Marilise, and I'll talk to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
All right, everyone. Well, welcome back to our podcast. It has been a while, um, but I'm very excited today because we're talking about a topic that I have not talked about yet. We're talking about workplace bullying, and I have my friend and fellow high-performance coach, Marlise de Villiers, here with me today, and she is an author, uh, high-performance coach, and best-selling author. And the book that she's written is called Roar, How to Tame the Bully Inside and Out. Correct me. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. So, Marlies, can you tell me, let's start off, like, what was the catalyst for this book? So when I left my company because of the bully, um, with my tail between my legs, um, completely mentally and physically defeated, um, I started having conversations with people and I was absolutely gobsmacked. I couldn't believe how many people actually experienced similar similar scenarios, similar situations. And it just made me really angry. I thought, you know, if it hap- it's happening to so many people, but nobody is speaking about it, speaking mm-hmm. up about it, then some someone has to raise awareness, you know. So I became really determined that I wanted to shine a spotlight on what I call a silent epidemic. Right. How long ago did this happen? So we're in 2020 right now, wrapping up 2020. What years was this going on? Yeah, so this was sort of um, the sort of second half of 2017, you know, so um, yeah, I just uh, was at um, a sort of t- turning point or crossroads, I would say, in my in my life, and uh, obviously the bullying experience um, didn't help, so I just had to do quits and to walk away in the end. Well, as I was reading, I've only read the first chapter of the book, but my jaw literally dropped When I read the line, he demoted me in front of my entire team. (laughs) Can you explain what happened before that and just how all of that went down if it's not too painful? No, and of course. So so that was like, so really it was, it was just every day something would happen, you know, and I just, after a while you get so used to him um, shouting at you or belittling you in front of your team and you know every time I thought it couldn't get any worse you know he would kind of pull another one out of the hat so it was really a case of he called a meeting with the team it was in the boardroom that day I mean I do remember it like yesterday mm-hmm. and um, he just casually announced that um, I was going to work on a project full-time until that project delivers which was okay because I knew the project was in trouble but I was sort of under the understanding that it was a temporary arrangement so he's sort of in his sort of my way or the highway I've come in to save the day attitude you know um sort of said casually said that and then um yeah I thought that was okay and then he announced the imminent arrival of a new director and that's when I realized you know shit he's he's basically just uh basically just sacked me, (laughs) you know, and um, yeah, it was just a case of obviously, literally, it's like that analogy of kicking, kicking a dog whilst they're on the floor, you know, so I literally felt like he was being kicked, like being kicked in the stomach. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and, and sort of very soon after that, so in that whole meeting, I, I completely just went into survival mode. So all my team around me asking questions and yeah, he just casually announced that the role has been made redundant um, and thought I was just going to suck it up basically. And then that next day is when you resigned. Is that correct? Yeah. So basically I just realized, I went, I mean, I went to the bathroom afterwards. I barely made it to the bathroom because I was literally, my tears were 
you know, mm-hmm. surfacing and I just had to to remove myself from the situation. And I got to the bathroom and I was just literally crying and then I looked up in the mirror and I just looked at myself and I had this sort of faint, you know, glimmering of hope and I just uh, heard a faint little voice inside me say, you know, Marilee's enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I scraped the courage together, you know, to quit. Wow. So you mentioned, you know, there's this him, there's he's the bully, but then there's an inside bully. What does that look like? How do we recognize that inside bully? So this is this is really where I always felt that I was doing something wrong, that I was the problem, that I wasn't good enough. I I didn't actually, you know, um, know how to do the job. Um, so every time he tells you how shit you are, mm-hmm. you believe it because you already have that limiting belief, that self-doubt, you know, that really destructive, self-sabotaging story that's going on, you know. And I think for me, because I was in a new environment, because I was working in a technology function where um, this is a new area, was a new area for me, I always felt like I am not good enough because I'm not technical um, and I didn't necessarily feel like people were taking me seriously. So that sort of inner bully, the more he started demeaning me and belittling me and criticizing me and literally on a sort of daily basis um the more I started having that same conversation with myself Mm -hmm. wow so when you talk to other people is it like is the story so familiar like a boss that's super demeaning and um what's the word um oh my gosh why is my mind going blank right now? Uh, narcissistic, like this narcissistic, narcissistic boss. And then the victims of this narcissism, they have that internal bully as well. Are, every time you talk to someone, is it the, like the same story over and over? hundred percent, you know, and that's so, so people either either get very defensive mm-hmm. um, or they just suck it up. And I think the majority of people suck it up. And then if they're high performers, like, you know, we, we know everything about high performance, um, they actually leave, they just leave quietly because they can find a better job somewhere else and they, they have dignity. So they, they just remove themselves from the situation, but oftentimes they don't speak up. They just, it's easier just to leave because at the, at the end of the day, you can't, you know, when, when you speak up, it's like a double-edged sword, you know, you, you're always the troublemaker. And so the majority of people, you know, they just don't want to, to damage their careers and their reputations. Mm-hmm. So the majority of people either just suck it up mm-hmm. or they leave quietly. And so that narcissist just gets to keep on going his merry way or her. Yeah. I mean, have you experienced, have you had people speak of both male and female yeah. narcissistic yeah. bosses? Okay. So my my, my research for the book um, pointed out that about 30% of the bullies were female. Mm -hmm. The more, more, um, uh, what is the word, like the the scariest statistic for me is really that um, the majority of women that confides in me are being bullied by women. And I always say there's a special place in hell. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so this is really like, Time and time again, you know, the majority of the women who, you know, tell me about their experiences, is, it's it's 90% of the times, easily, it's another woman. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Wow. That makes me sick. Yeah. 
like you said, there's a special place somewhere for those ladies. 100%. And I think the challenge there is that in a corporate environment, and if it's a highly toxic environment, you know, the women, the women almost become like that masculine energy, you know, and they feel like the only way to get to the top, top, sorry, to get to the top and to stay at the top is really mm -hmm. about, you know, becoming like a man, you know, and it's, uh, it's an energy which, you know, which is just not, you know, if, if, if as a woman, you just, that energy doesn't gel with you. It's not like we're not wired that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and it's it's then, you know, often the only women in the boardroom who then feel so special to be in the boardroom and then there's no space. You know, she, she doesn't want to welcome anybody, any other females into the boardroom because she feels so special, which is a very narcissistic trend in itself. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was looking at like your scale of narcissism. Yeah. And that was very, very interesting. So basically, can, can you speak to that briefly, like the scale of narcissism? Yeah, of course. So I position in my book that there is something like healthy narcissism. Mm -hmm. And what do I mean by that? That is someone that really have that uh, healthy level of self-love and dignity, you know. So, you know, you do need to have a good self-esteem and you need to love yourself in order to put yourself out there and to engage with the world in the true version of you right um, and if you do that in a way which is you know loving and kind and compassionate that is a that is a healthy form of narcissism and and i want to recognize that because at the end of the day we're all narcissistic you know we're all you know it's just a natural human you know phenomena um, but what happens is when you tip over into the sort of entitlement, you know, so if you if you can imagine at the middle of the scale, if you imagine the scale of, of, of zero to 10, in the middle, you have healthy narcissism. Now, from from zero to five, you have something called echoism. And that's really just people who don't who don't actually want to be seen. They just want to hide. They don't they don't want any attention on them. It's people who are really sort of happy to be on the you know, on the background and just don't want to be out there, don't want to be visible. So that is also a negative thing because you often have people who are in that sort of zero to four that are actually being bullied, you know. So I, I found myself there as an empath, yeah. as a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I was often kind of on, the, on that side of the scale. Mm -hmm. But then if you look at the toxic side of the scale, the unhealthy side of the scale, so from the five to about a seven, you have um, narcissism as a sort of a habit, you know, so it's people that would often have that sense of entitlement. So they think it's their right to treat people badly, but they are aware of their behavior and you can kind of, you know, with feedback, you can pull them back to healthy narcissism. So I kind of often call that accidental bullies. Okay. Often, you know, often we are a little bit stressed or we're overworked and we just don't, you know, I'm not having a good day, so I'm having, I'm, sna I'm snapping at someone, yeah. but I can actually recognize that my behavior was out of line. Um, mm -hmm. And it often comes from that sort of sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. Then if you go further up the scale, so from sort of a, a an eight upwards, that's where it gets really, um, almost like becomes a disorder, you know, so that's yeah. the really toxic end of the scale. And that's where you have exploitation where you will do anything and at any cost exploit people to to get to the top to mm -hmm. to be the winner at the end of the day so um 
very, very extreme narcissists, narcissists have this winner versus loser mentality. So they want to be the winner at all costs and someone else has to be the loser. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter who loses. They just have to be the, the winner. And they're, ex- they're, they're prepared to exploit everybody in the process to get to the top. And then, of course, you have out of 10, you have the, the personality disorders. So you have psychopathy and you have so, so, socio, um, sociopaths. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the really dangerous. That's when we start talking about people that murder and kill mm-hmm. and, you know, have no conscience. Right. Um, but that's, that's really the dangerous, dangerous, scary part of the, the wow. scale. <laughs> it's fascinating. One of the things that resonated with me in your book was... Um, in this, the first chapter that I read, like, I can't wait to get all of it talking about, you never knew what you were going to get that day at work. And like, I've dealt with that. You know, I remember we would joke about, has anybody taken so-and-so's temperature today? And that was like, how, how is he, what are we walking into? And we tiptoed around his moods. Yes. So interesting. So if I've experienced it, I'm sure everyone has. Well, exactly. And I think that's the thing, you know, you have you have characters like that. So what was really shocking to me when I did the research for the book is that about 10 percent of people in the workplace are toxic people. So, you know, that that's potentially one out of every 10 people, you know, so it is really then a case of how do you show up and how do you strengthen yourself um and how do you um and that's that's why i sort of say it it comes from the inside out because this is about you then having that self-esteem and that self-efficacy you know Mm -hmm. to know when someone is actually crossing the line Mm -hmm. um because we are so quick to excuse people's behavior you Mm -hmm. know that's just again a human nature thing and especially for the empaths out there you know we we want people to like us and we genuinely love people so we always give people the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. so i think it's important to have healthy level of skepticism you know and to read situations and to as i say spot the bully you know oh my gosh do you happen to know your enneagram number do you look at that stuff at all no, no. Oh, it's a personality typing yeah. and I, I'm a three, but I'm, I have a feeling you might be a two. Twos are caregivers. They're super empathic. I'll send you like a quiz afterwards so you can see. Yeah, it's awesome. fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's the deal with the bullies and the narcissism. I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you about your past and cause, because you were seeing ties from when you were growing up and being sexually abused and then that leading to an eating disorder. And those that listen to this podcast, I talk a lot about disordered eating. I talk a lot about body dysmorphia because I think it's probably just as common as workplace bullying, if not more, especially amongst us high-performing women, like we're hard on ourselves. So can you just talk about what did your eating disorder look like? When did it start and how did you get your way out of it? If you did. Yeah, so I did. Fortunately, I did pull my way out of it. Um, but I have to still, to this day, be very careful, you know, so I proactively manage my nutrition and my exercise. Um, mm-hmm. And in my case, it's it's the over-exercising sometimes that I have to manage as much as the not-exercising. Yeah. 
eating dynamic, but I, I'm sure you know. Um, so yeah, so my eating disorder pretty much started when I was 12, and it was very shortly after I actually exposed the man who sexually abused me. Mm. And 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 the, how that sort of panned out is because I didn't actually understand when it happened to me. I was eight years old when I was sexually abused. When it happened to me, I didn't understand it. And fortunately, there was something inside me that sort of avoided the situations, you know, so I never kind of went back. So it only really happened to me a couple of times. Um, but then when I was 12, I realized, you know, that it was actually happening to my younger sister. And unfortunately, it was happening to her over longer periods of time. And she was eight at the time when it happened. So I literally caught myself on a Saturday afternoon, you know, like I was working in the garden with my dad and literally just dropping everything and running to his house. So he was a neighbor, you know, someone who was respected in the, in the, in the neighborhood, but also in the town where we lived. Um, and I just literally went and I pulled my sister out of that situation and I took her home. And, and that evening I told my parents, you know, it was just such a, like, it's almost like, you know, I have, I had a voice that spoke to me to say, you've got to tell your folks, you know, and so I, I did. And fortunately, they believed us because in those years, nobody talked about abuse, you know, sexual abuse. It was always brushed under the carpet, you know, and, and it was that sort of, you know, what are the people going to think, you know, that sort of shame factor. Right. And so I think, you know, that sort of desire to speak up and to expose it and, and, and I didn't necessarily do it for me I did it for my sister and mm -hmm. um, I think that was that was the first kind of step the danger step and the sort of suddenly I have two things going on I'm, I'm, I'm so ashamed because everybody now knows I've exposed this man but everybody knows what he has done to me so I'm kind of feeling like my body is dirty and I, I feel like damaged goods so that was kind of one of the dynamics that played out and then the other dynamic that played out was the, the guilt, <laughs> strangely enough. So as a 12-year-old, as a I actually disrespected an older man by exposing an older person. So it was that sort of, you know, in South Africa in those years, you always respected your elders. You know, children are allowed to be, be, be seen but not heard. You know, it's that sort of saying. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of guilt for the fact that I've actually exposed him and actually a lot of his family around and, 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 you know, close friends, you know, were actually really suffering as a result, you know. So I guess un unconsciously I was, I was feeling quite guilty. And then my, my parents, you know, um, kind of, I sort of convinced them that I was fine. I said, don't worry about me. I'm fine. Because I didn't feel, I didn't feel like it happened. Like I wanted them to focus on getting my sister healthy and better mm -hmm. and I I thought I was absolutely fine you know and I didn't need help and it only happened to me like a couple of times so don't worry about me I'm fine I'll be fine <laughs> and I think I was so convincing and I convinced my parents but of course I wasn't fine and um, and shortly after that so probably about 12 13 I really just started to control my food and to start ex excessively exercising and it sort of turned turned initially into anorexia so I just literally I think I passed out one day when I played a netball netball match and my mum took me to the doctor and obviously my blood sugar levels were just dangerously low and um, and obviously I was dropping weight like I was literally eating an apple if that today wow 
Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, what happens then is when, when you're not forced to eat, but people expect you to eat, you know, they want to see you eating. Yeah. Um, it's not about the food, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a mental disorder, you know, at large. So, um, and then I started eating, but then I didn't, I couldn't cope with just looking at myself in the mirror and seeing how fat I was getting, you know, so that then quickly turned into, into bulimia. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so that carried on my entire high school um, or secondary school career. Um, sorry, I say career. School <laughs> 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 is not a career. Anyway, and, uh, and then when I went to university, I mean, it just got really, really out of hand. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, you know, there was just no control. And obviously studying and the pressure and everything, it just, I couldn't cope with it. So I ended up going to rehab um probably around 21 so that lasted quite a while yeah and then I think it took another sort of three four years you know mm -hmm. and as I say I still have to manage it to this day it's not something I think that ever goes away I don't think so either Marlies and you know we I want to talk about how you found a way that works for you in just a second but I'd agree with that so much and you know I don't I don't know if I had a full on eating disorder. Probably I did. I mean, the over exercising, the under eating, and then definitely disordered eating. And what I've pinpointed was when it um, sp spiked for me and it was in college. And it's very much what you were saying, the studying, the pressure. I actually was just talking about this, like in therapy, like my college experience was not fun for me. I had a lot of pressure on myself from just me and I it just manifested in this way I find that really interesting 100% the same sort of for me as well you know the the sort of um yeah all self-inflicted yes <laughs> wow yeah. so you went you got help you went to rehab yeah for that and now recently when so when I first met Marlies we met at our certified high performance coaching classes and you had been working with this amazing coach who you were tracking macros with her right yes absolutely tracking macros lifting weights i think yes. you were eating more than you ever had yes 100% <laughs> but probably feeling better than you ever had looking better than you ever had so talk to me about your experience working with your coach and did that help you call out this bully at work so I only started working with the coach after I left. And after gotcha. I left. Okay. So I literally left um, this, the, the toxic environment and then started my recovery. So it was after I, you know, was kind of out of that environment that wow. I started working with her. And because of the eating disorder, I think that's, that's why I knew that I had to focus on getting my mental and my physical health back on track. Cause, cause that was sort of my, my foundation. You know, I knew that I was, healthy well I, I was a better person like I, I could function better if I was 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 healthy in terms of my food and my exercise so I got into this really weird cycle of just doing like cardio exercise you know so before before I started working with the coach I I was pr prolific cyclist I did like really like big long rides but I would cram them in you know it's like once a week twice a week because there's never time to exercise right. so that became like a big like weird cycle of exercise and then mm -hmm. um obviously with the bullying I started 
drinking lots of wine, you know, so wine became my anesthetic. And I really sort of just, you know, found myself coming home in the evenings and just desperate for a glass of wine. And then it became two glasses and then sometimes a whole bottle, you know, but it was, yep. it was something that I had to, a pattern that I had to interrupt. And then just, you know, the food, I don't think I ever, my food was ever that bad, but it was just with, with drinking and with, you know, just feeling sluggish, mm -hmm. you, you're just more, you know, you, you eat, eat shit, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're tired. You don't want to cook. You eat the shit. <laughs> You've had some wine. Who cares? Yeah. So, so what, what Colette taught me was really how to fall in love with food again and oh. obviously kick kick the habits of drinking so much yeah. so drinking became a, a social thing for me so only when I'm with friends or on the weekend so it's not something I do every day but you know once a week is, is fine yeah. um, I found that balance now and then I guess um, with the exercise that was the biggest revelation for me because I've never done any weight training you know and I've never done you know the sort of leg days and upper body days and hip days. Uh -huh. And, and suddenly this whole new world opened up to me and that was just a, a miracle it was amazing and I've now started doing gravity yoga you know so it's that um it's that sort of self-care and recognizing that when we get older um also our bodies need the weight training and it needs the the, the cardio is just not enough Mm -hmm. um, and, and that whole piece was so incredibly educational for me and learning about my food and learning about my body and learning about my exercise and as you say the macros I mean I don't track macros anymore mm -hmm. because I don't need to because I have such a good understanding now of what I can and cannot eat and how to you know fuel my body mm -hmm. and it's no longer for me like I don't worry about a number on the scale I worry I worry about can I show up today full of energy, you know, vibrant? And really for me, it's about showing up and having that energy for life. Mm -hmm. And and so for me today, it's more about energy and yeah. having real energy, great energy levels so I can show up every day and be my best. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. And I hope everybody listens and hears it. I mean, you are you are the people I work with. Um, and what's great is they're on this side with you for the most part, but there's always those people that just, you know, they're stuck in that old pattern. I, I'm assuming you and I are pretty much the same age. I'm 41. Yeah, 43. Yes. So like we grew up, all we knew was riding our bikes, going for an, a jog, going to an aerobics class. So we didn't know. And so reprogramming all of the women that are our age who have been taught eat less exercise, cardio more. Um, there's That's just such the a better way. Yes. That's the enemy. Yes. I mean, and I love that. It's all about the energy. It so is. Do you feel like so strong now, like mentally, emotionally, and physically? I do. I mean, I, I do, uh, but I still push myself. So I have always got a new challenge and a new level that I want to reach. So mm -hmm. I'm still being hard on myself but the conversation is a lot kinder these days you know a lot more compassionate mm -hmm. I, I focus a lot more on my self-care mm -hmm. so time out to kind of just for me at the moment doing kind of my yoga three times a week you know doing my spinning three times a week doing my work so I'm, I'm, I'm scheduling me time every day and that I think is just the holy grail because we we don't feel like we deserve to 
prioritize ourselves. I keep saying prioritize yourself on your list of priorities. 100%. Yes, the more women we can have saying that and doing that, the better. Like we have to lead the way 100%. for sure. Well, the one of the last things I want to ask you about is, and you briefly touched on, I had it in my notes of things I wanted to talk about. I think red flags, people need to look for it. Not necessarily with bullying only, but with maybe I should leave this environment. You were talking about the anxiety you were feeling, the sleep issues you were having, the weight gain you were having because of the anxiety and the no sleep and the, and starting to drink too much just to cope, right? You said that was your anesthetic. Whenever I hear people talking about this stuff, you know, I can't say, well, maybe you should just look for a different job. That's to me, that's not very compassionate, but I hear this so often. I mean, was this a regular thing for you, the anxiety? Can you just speak to all of these points? Yes, so it, it slowly, it, it's like this slippery slope, that sort of downward spiral. So it became, it became really bad towards the end. So the last six months, it got to the point where I was literally just not functioning. And of course, didn't do my job to the standard that I should do my job, you know. So it was it was all playing to the situation. And, you know, I probably would have demoted me as well. Not that I've ever had any performance issues. Like never, he's never noted anything down in terms of my performance. I mean, just nine months prior, he told the board that, you know, the future of the company is safe with me because I was supposed to be his successor. Mm. So I was his highest performing director in the company. So it wasn't even that, you know, but of course, when you are mentally and physically um, defeated, I don't want to say ill because I didn't get to burnout, but I came very close and Mm -hmm. it wasn't depression. It was just a deep, deep, deep unhappiness. Um, But that sort of escalated and, and it really went downhill very quickly. So the last six months, I was still okay, but it was like wonky. And mm-hmm. then the last three months, it just went completely downhill so quickly, you know, it, yeah. it was quite frightening. My husband actually stepped in because I was still very determined to carry on. Yeah. Because in my head, I could still do it um, because I'm so resilient. Mm-hmm. And I, I always talk about resilience in overdrive, you know, when it becomes a, when it becomes a crutch or a, a, a an Achilles heel, you know, any strength in overdrive. So I'm like, encouraging people to to quit to quit sooner you know to walk away sooner um, and not to tolerate that behavior so i think the 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 main thing i would always say is is listen to your listen to your gut you know like i kind of always touch my stomach area when i talk about take back take back your power you know Mm -hmm. if if people treat you badly you know you don't deserve to treat be treated badly and have that have that self-worth that self I, I say it's like dignity for yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and really focus on what your body is telling. I think there's so much that our bodies are trying to tell us where we don't, we just ignore, we don't listen to our bodies. Mm-hmm. My body I, was begging me to quit like six months, even before I quit, maybe a year before I quit, my body was begging me to stop yeah. and I just wouldn't listen. No, because you're in that overdrive and you're like, no, I'm a resilient person. I'm not a quitter. Exactly. Oh. Um, and I, I was going to ask you about your husband. So he did say, he's like, Marlise, how, how did that conversation go? He just, he's a very, um, I, I call him a very quietly confident person. Mm-hmm. And six months after I left, I did actually ask him, if, did you know how bad it was for me? And, 
And he said, no. And I said, if you knew, would you have um, stepped in sooner? And he said, absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. So I think he was blissfully unaware because he just saw his strong wife going to work every day and putting up this facade and this like, you know, I can do this. I'm strong. You know? And he, he wanted me to to succeed as much as I wanted to succeed. Mm -hmm. But I think he, he, he just realized, you know, towards the end, it was just un like he just he reached that point where he just flipped and he just said, no. This mm -hmm. is it. So he actually made me sit down and write my resignation letter, which I never got to give to the bully because he then demoted me. So <laughs> it actually worked worked in my favor. <laughs> oh, I love that you have that support. That's so important. He's amazing. No, he's amazing. And he's my biggest cheerleader. And if it wasn't for him, then, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't be today pursuing my dream of, you know, doing what I love and and that's one of the amazing things that came from this experience you know I always say my mess became my message yep oh, I love this okay the last thing I have to ask you about because it was so brilliant to me was your roar method or the roar way to deal with this can you talk about those points real quick yes of course so roar r-o-a-r so Roar is all about finding your voice speaking your truth and um you know again it's 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 finding you, igniting you, and then igniting the power of your voice. Mm -hmm. And so Rory is a four-step process, and it's designed to deal with difficult conversations. So recognize is the first R, recognize the behavior. So when you're in an interaction with someone, you know, look out for those clues of the person being demeaning or being difficult, because you can very quickly spot when someone's like, I always say spot the bully. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And then the second step is O, which is observe. So this is where you've got to stay present, you know, so you've got to maintain eye contact. You, you must try and stay calm. You must breathe because what they do is they try and startle you and they try and catch you off guard and they, they, they try and create that sort of neural dissonance. And if you're dealing with a real bully, they know exactly what they're doing, right? Yeah. So it's that neural dissonance. So what I'm always saying is stay calm, stay present, just observe and, and be in the moment. Mm -hmm. And then that's all the inner game stuff, you know, so the recognizing the bully and observing that's inner game. So you're not necessarily doing anything at that point other than processing. Okay. <laughs> and then the A is for asserting. So that's when you start reacting, right? So this is where you say, um, this is how it makes me feel. Or you ask, you say, you know, please help me understand how is this helping us? So it's a, it's a case of either saying how you feel or asking if you need more context and you need to understand the situation better. So asking is a really good technique mm -hmm. as, as long as you don't throw fuel on the fire. Uh -huh. so you don't want to ask in a way which, so if you ask a why question, it often, you know, um, you know, throws fuel on the fire. As I say, it gets the bullies back up. So uh -huh. you have to be careful with how you ask. And then the final R is all about redirecting the conversation. And this is all about creating mutual outcomes, mutually beneficial outcomes. So it's not about you. It's not about me. This is not personal. Mm -hmm. We are here to do a job. We have objectives. We have to reach an outcome. Let's make it a win-win outcome. So how are we going to create that win-win outcome? Um, so it's recognize the behavior, observe, stay present, ask or assert, mm -hmm. and then redirect the conversation towards mutual outcomes. And, you know, you can use this framework for any conversation. It doesn't have to be a difficult conversation. You can use it for any conversation. Yeah. 
Oh man, this is so helpful because I can think right now of like two areas in my life where I need to use this framework. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. What a, I I hate the word journey, but what a journey you've had. (laughs) It has been an interesting, um, and you know, if you told me three years ago, um, that I would be a published author, that I would be a coach, a high performance coach, I would have just told you to go away because I wouldn't believe you, you know, because I was such in such a dark place. And mm-hmm. so I want to say to anybody out there that's not a feeling, you know, like they're in a dark place and they can't see a way out. You know, if I, if I can do it, so can you. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I know so many people that needed to hear that, like right now. Good. Did you have it in your mind's eye to ever write a book? Like, was that ever on your radar? It was many years ago when I published some research in a, in a, in a job that I was doing. So I thought, okay, I've published research for this company. I'm sure I can write my own book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, plant, the seed was planted a very, very long time ago, but it was never like it wasn't a crystal clear, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But the seed was probably planted about eight years ago. Wow. Well, I'm sure I know I can probably speak for your sister and so many other people out there. Like, thanks for using your voice so we can all learn from from you. This is so powerful. Yeah. And, and this is not about me, right? This is about helping as many people as, as I can. I know you have a similar mission, Kylie, yeah. like to to positively impact lives and you know this is this is this is so much bigger than the both of us so we have to keep going and we need we need more women to join us and, and join that you know tribe right. of, of strong women who, who speak up who ignite themselves and ignite the power of their voices yes you know that is the that is the thing that I'm noticing is that when we have confident women they aren't those bullies like confident women don't bully people and I want to be with, I want to sit at your table. I want to sit with the confident women. Yes. And yes. the women who empower people. Because at the end of the day, it's not about gender. It's not about race. It's about, we're all people. We're all human beings. So I think it's it's time that we bring the humanity back into the conversation mm-hmm. and the dignity back into the conversation. Oh gosh, dignity. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> But it's late where Marlies is, so I'm going to let her go. Real quick, I have to end on a random note. So we've been watching The Crown about the royal family. I don't know if you know about this show. Yes. But Princess Diana, I forgot that she was bulimic. Did you know that? I, I did know that. And um, I, I thought, I watched it. And, you know, it was actually quite hard for me to watch because of the way that they've actually portrayed it. I thought it was very realistic. Um, and and it was really touching nerves. It, it, it created a few flashbacks, but um, I was able to sort of you know work through that. Yeah. But it was it was in, incredibly well done, and I think they've actually intentionally made it very realistic. You know, but it's hard it's hard to watch. I agreed. I was trying to see if my husband was feeling the same things. He wasn't, but I felt that on a deeply personal level and. Yeah, I know it's a random note to end on, but between your beautiful accents and <laughs> our talk on disordered eating, I mean, well, Marlies, I can't wait for everyone to get their hands on your book or listen to the audiobook, which will be read by you. I'll put links to all of this in the show notes. And thank you so much for your time and energy. You're simply the best. 
You are too. I love you, Kylie, and thank you so much for this opportunity. I love spending the time with you. Yes. Big hug. Big hug. Virtual hug. All right, Marlise, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.